Okay, so this morning we're going to be in in John chapter 15. Just want to look at one verse as we go into John 15, and then we'll get into a few other things in a moment. And this is uh, Jesus in John 15 speaking, and um, he's speaking to his disciples about abiding in the vine. And I just want to look at verse, uh, it should be verse 16. Forget that, take that off there, it should be verse 16, which is what we're looking at. Um, Jesus says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. You did not choose me, Jesus says. I chose you. They, I mean, wow. There is a whole load of stuff that we could get right into right in those few verses there. You didn't choose him. He chose you. The fact that I didn't choose him, that he chose me, changes so many different things. This is wonderfully comforting news for me because the implications of this are absolutely huge because when life gets difficult, when life gets tough, when things start to kind of go wrong and the ride, if you like, becomes somewhat bumpy, if I chose him, Jesus has every right to turn around to me and say, well, I didn't ask you to come along. Kind of buckle up and hang on in there. It's your own fault, buddy. No one invited you to come along for the ride. You chose to follow, so just toughen up a little bit. But the fact is, I didn't choose him. He chose me. He invited me. He called me. I was not looking for him. He came and he rescued me and he opened my eyes and he chose me. So now when the, when the moment gets bumpy, I have every right to go, Jesus, listen, you chose me. Help me now. Walk with me now in this. And that transforms and, and that changes absolutely everything. He says, I have chosen you. And here's the wonderful thing about this idea of election, of being chosen by God. It's not just for some kind of privilege that I get to, oh, this is nice, he's chosen me, this is all wonderful and cuddly and and everything is nice. No, no, I've chosen you. Every time we see in the Bible this idea of being chosen is always for a purpose. It's not about privilege, it's about a purpose. He has chosen us, what does this verse say? To bear fruit. I've chosen you, I've rescued you, I've set you apart for a purpose, to bear fruit. We're supposed to be fruitful. Now, we read verses like that, and in our culture, we've got a bunch of different challenges straight away, which, which kind of cause us to read verses like that and think, oh my goodness, I've got to do a whole load of stuff. I've got to get a whole lot better at a load of stuff. I've got to run around and sort things out, because if he's chosen me, I better not let him down. I've got to bear fruit. I've got to produce lots of things in my life, and I'll run around and and so we have a couple of challenges in our culture, not least the fact that we live in a, an, an instant, now, quick transformation culture. We live in a microwave culture. You want something, you put it in your microwave, and within a couple of minutes, it's there. But you've got to remember the Bible was written not in a microwave culture, but in a, in a gardening or a farming culture. You planted something, and it took a whole load of time to actually bear some fruit, to actually come forth. We live in this quick fix. Well, I'll try it. Hey, I tried it for seven days. It didn't work. Well, you didn't do long enough. Okay, well, I'll try it for 40 days. Experts say 40 days, and you do anything for 40 days, and, and, and changes everything. It now becomes the new norm. Well, I tried this thing for 40 days. I haven't grown a whole lot. And it's partly because of our culture. We're conditioned to think everything should be quick, and it should be instant, and it should be now. But, we, but that's not the way that fruit and produce and everything else that we put into the ground, seeds are in the ground come. It's not instant, it's not overnight. The second challenge we have of understanding this verse in our culture is we live in a, a self-improvement culture. 
in a kind of, these are the steps that I need to do. I need, it's on me to get better and grow and change and, and make myself something and create an identity for myself and all this kind of stuff. So we, we read these verses, we see these verses as comforting as they are. He didn't choose me. Uh, sorry, I didn't choose him. He chose me to bear fruit. And we end up going, oh, bang it. Got to run around. Got to get really busy. Got to do a whole lot of stuff. Got to get good at this. Got to get better at that. And well, maybe. But the verse here says, bear fruit. It doesn't say produce fruit. Other versions say, bring forth fruit. And there's a whole load of difference between bearing fruit and, and producing fruit. If you think about for a moment a fruit tree, if you've got an apple tree or whatever in your back garden, how does the apple tree produce its fruits? Well, it doesn't run around and do a whole load of stuff. It just bears forth. It brings forth. It's got healthy roots. It brings forth fruit. Apple trees produce apples and orange trees produce oranges. And that's about the level of my understanding of what other kind of trees. Banana trees produce, <laughs> no idea, produce bananas and Everything, the nature of the tree determines the fruit that it produces. And it doesn't actually produce it, it bears it, it brings it forth because of what it is. It bears fruit according to its nature. Our fruit then will be what we are. Proverbs 12, verse 12 says, The root of the righteous bears much fruit. The root of the righteous bears much fruit. So therefore, if we understand that it is who we are that produces the fruit and bears the fruit, we need to focus our time and our energy not on running around and doing a whole load of stuff, but our time and our energy on cultivating our roots. You see, it's our roots, our foundation, our very identity, who we are. It's from that that springs forth the fruit. Paul tells us, in the New Testament, in Ephesians 3, verse 17, he says, be rooted and grounded in love. He, in Colossians 2, 7, says, be rooted and built up in him. See, our roots, our, our foundations then are very important because they define who we are, what kind of tree we are, if you like, and who we are, the kind of tree we are, determines the kind of fruit that we bear, that we bring forth. So we're chosen to be fruitful and our fruit comes from who we are, our problem is so often, so frequently, if you're anything like me, we forget who we are. And we try and create for ourselves a, an, ident an identity that is usually based on performance and usually based on quick results and is usually based on things, not that the word of God says, but that the, the world, the culture within which we live says. And here's the thing. If you try and create an identity for yourself, you try and expend all this energy trying to create and make yourself and, and find your security and your identity and cultivate your roots in all these different things that the world would have, then you end up wearing yourself out, you end up driving yourself into the ground, and you end up being absolutely exhausted because we're so conditioned by our world to think in terms of what we do or what we achieve. Who are you in our, in our culture is determined by what job you do or the stuff that you have, or who the identity within which we find ourselves based on, we find the inner self of who we are. Go and find yourself. And that's not the way that the Bible tells us at all. 
So the world says that we can achieve an identity. We can make something of ourselves. The Bible paints a very different picture. It says we don't achieve an identity. We simply receive an identity from the one who made us and created us and, and, and called us and chose us. We receive that identity from him. So your job then as a fruit-producing, fruit-bearing tree is not to try and craft your own identity, not to try and work out who you are yourself. Your job is to know your identity and then live in your identity. And it's so really very crucial that we understand the foundation, the root, the identity of who we now are in Christ because when you understand who you are, your very identity, it affects the way you think and then it affects the way you act, which sets you free then to be everything that God intends for you to be. And consequently, you start bearing good, healthy fruit in your life, the fruit of loving God and loving people, the, the fruit of growing in Galatians 5, the, the fruit of the Spirit in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and, and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And when you start growing in those things and start producing fruit in your own life in those things, you start then to see it reproduced in other people as well. So the question I have for you this morning is, who are you? Are your very root? Who are we? What's our very identity? Ephesians 1, let's look at these very famous verses. Start in verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed Blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have an obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Skip over to uh, chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wow. Wow. That's who we are, created, chosen, blessed, adopted, 
forgiven heirs, sons, daughters of God, made alive in Christ Jesus. And knowing this stuff, understanding who we are, should result in us being the, the happiest, the most contented, the most secure, the most confident, the most joy-filled, most free people on the planet, right? It should result in us being the most fruitful people on the planet. Because this is who we are. And yet so often we're not, are we? Oh, let's be honest, we're not. So often. Not quite that. I mean, we are in, in, like in our heads and in our minds. We're like, yay! And then Monday comes. Um, why? Well, the reasons are various, aren't they? I mean, let's just, let's just be really honest for a moment. Why, why are we not like that all the time? Well, the reasons are various. Sometimes it's sin. Like, we can pretend it's not, but sometimes it is. Stuff that we just do that just... It's not honoring of God in the way we live. Stuff that we just know is, is, is not right. And we can kind of cover it up a little bit. But the reality is, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Sin separates us. Sin means his face is hidden from us. It's like a separation at times. Like, no, no, you're not, you're not condemned. You're not going to be held against you. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. But there is a thing of when we allow sin to just dwell in our life and not deal with it, it, it kind of separates us and it causes us to not walk in this fullness of joy and the freedom and everything else that we should have. So that's sometimes an issue. Sometimes the hardship of life, right, is an issue, isn't it? Paul in, in 2 Timothy 2 says to Timothy, he says, endure hardship like a good soldier. I mean, he kind of gives the impression there that life sometimes is going to be hard and you've got to endure it. And sometimes, actually, when life is really difficult and there's a challenge, just the battle of enduring like a soldier can and cause us sometimes to just not really walk in the fullness of joy and everything that we, we can sing about in our songs. And we've just got to acknowledge that sometimes hardship has the potential to distract us. And that's why Paul says, fight like a soldier. Fight against the distractions of the hardship of this world. Sometimes worries of this life rob us from the joy and the freedom that we walk in. Mark 4.19 talks about the, the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things that sneak into our, into our hearts. And we say something different with our lips, but in our hearts there's, there's concern and there's anxiety and there's worry and, and the, the, the world is pressing in on us and we kind of think, mm, yeah, that's got a point. And, and it just robs us of the freedom and of the joy that we're supposed to know. But more often than not, even if all of those things are true, more often than not, what really pushes in and, 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 and gets to us and, and causes us to take our eyes off what they should be is that we end up just not looking fully at Jesus as we ought to and not reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel as we ought to, and we begin to look at other things. And despite knowing better, we often try and form our identity on other things. And we form our identity in the foundation, the root of who we are, and it gets cultivated in, in, in other things. And there's some obvious ones, things that we know, we know that we shouldn't, but we so often get ensnared by and caught up in it. Things like physical stuff, like items and possessions. I mean, we, we know we shouldn't. We're like no one in this room, if you've ever been to church before, if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, goes, yes, build your identity on the things that we have and the house that you have and the lifestyle you have and the holidays that you have or don't have. We all know that's not what we're supposed to do. And yet, there's a desire that sometimes just sneaks in and it begins to consume us. Like I told you a few weeks ago, we're trying to move house, and, and, uh, and, and it's all fallen through. So we ain't moving house. And, 
part of the, the, the thing that God's really been teaching me fundamentally is that the minute we had an offer accepted on our house and we can roll this is it, I'd moved in, in my head. So I was there, like redecorating everything. This is how the extension's going to look. We know this. I mean, I'd already sorted book Tom. Like, you come there, we hadn't even bought it. And I'm already like, mate, how, how big can we make this thing? How watch, amazing things can we... And I, the desire had just snuck in. No, don't hear me. I'm not saying it's not wrong to own nice things. It's not a sin to have, have a big house or and if you've got a whole load of money to have a nicer car than the one you've currently got. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with those things. There's no problem in enjoying the material things that God blesses us with. But when they begin to consume us and when the driving factor begins to be, I want that. That's the that's what's going to, that's, that's it. That's all that's missing. I need a slightly bigger house with a study and then I'll have this great devotional life. Or I'll have a slightly bigger house with room to invite and then we will be hospitable. Or actually, if we just earn that next payback, then I can start to be generous with what I've got because I'll have enough to live on everything else so I can give the rest of it away. No, 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 no. When we begin to put our, build our trust in our identity on the physical, it begins to rob us of the real joy that we're supposed to know in Christ. Second place we often look is, is that the things that we do, the achievements in what we do, essentially our own performance in life. Our lives are filled with the responsibilities. They're filled with roles that we fulfill. They're filled with duties, things that we do. Each of us has all this different stuff. And everything that we have, your job, your position, your responsibility, all of those things, they're all an opportunity to bring glory to God. It's why we did the Whatever You Do series. It matters. But the minute we begin to take our achievements in that role as our identity, we become a slave to a stream of never-ending potential success. We begin to think, oh, I'm, I'm worth something because I'm doing really well in this job. Or my identity and security because I'm really good at this. And it becomes like this, this slave to us and, and we end up just looking at everything as an achievement to accomplish, the next step to get to. And then, oh, look, I'm doing really well. The problem with that is if suddenly it doesn't go really well. You've put all your hopes and your eggs, if you like, in that basket, and all you built your identity on that, and then you get made redundant, or the promotion doesn't come, or the pay rise doesn't come, or the success doesn't come, or that project fails, or the thing where you, the review does not go as you wanted it to, as you thought it to, and you're like, what? And we get crushed. And similarly, if we're putting it all on our emphasis and our identity and our security on the things that we do, when that gets taken away from us, because it will, nothing lasts forever. When it gets taken away from you, if all you're a mum and all your identity is in raising your children, they grow up and they leave you and they don't need you anymore. Identity crushed. It's all in that job or that profile or that whatever it is. It's going to move at some point and it crushes us. Third area where we can often build our identity around, I think this is really something that we all say we don't and yet we all do is other people and their opinions of us. You see, God made us for community, right? He made us for friendship. He made us to be in relationship with other people. So it's a good thing. How we relate to other people, the relationships we build, very, very good things. It's important to have others in our lives. But like all good things, when they become the ultimate thing, it it becomes an idol of our heart replaces the one thing that's supposed to be the ultimate thing. You see, you know you're in danger of looking to others to give you a sense of identity when you give in to peer pressure. 
You know that this is what we should be, but everyone's doing this. You give in to that. Or when you find yourself people-pleasing, making decisions or saying things just, just to please the people around you in some way, shape, or form. Or when you think, or when what other people think of you becomes almost crippling. Their opinion of you matters just too much. You just need that affirmation just a bit too much. Or what they think, if I do this and they think, but oh, I can't, so I'm going to just play it safe here. Or when you're inflated by praise and someone says you've done great, then you're like, oh, thank you, yeah, I know. And then you're deflated by criticism. It stings. And someone comes and says, you didn't do that very well. And it crushes you. Now, don't get me wrong, no one enjoys criticism, but if your identity is not in what other people think of you, it, sh- it doesn't crush you in the same way. Or when you post that picture or that comment that you thought was witty on Facebook and no one liked it, no one laughed at it, no one made some remark. Everyone, they post stuff and people, look at that, how many retweets they get and all that kind of stuff. I post this, that was genuinely funny. No one says anything. It probably wasn't funny, but, but it crushes or if the person that you really want to comment, or the person you really want to notice, whether it's a, a family member or a boss or a friend or a leader or your spouse or your kids or your parents or whatever, when they don't notice and they don't make any comment to you and it crushes you. If we're honest, we all slide into the risk of looking at other people for a sense of identity and acceptance. Fourth area where we can often look to finding an identity or acceptances in our longings or our desires, the desires of our heart. Now, it might be a, it's a bit of a strange one in many ways because in one sense, longings and desires, hope for the future is a, is a really good biblical thing, but there's a danger of using hope in a way that means we're living in the identity that we hope will one day come in the future for us rather than living in the identity that we have as a present reality right now. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not wrong to aspire to these things. But if your eyes are just constantly fixed and you live thinking, well, everything will be good when? When this happens in my life, that's when it's going to be okay. And when that works out or when this situation happens or when I move there or have this or do that. Listen, it's not a sin to strive for a better tomorrow. But when we set our joy and our identity on who we'll be in the future, what we're going to do in the future, or what we'll have in the future, rather than living in the now and what God has called us to do in this season, the things that he's doing for us right here, right now, the things that he desires for us to do at this time, then we run the risk of letting the future and what we dream of becoming an idol. Because that's all we think about. And it sucks the life out of us right now. Can't be content, can't be joyful, can't enjoy the things that you've got because you're constantly thinking about, well, it'll be all good when that happens. And so many people are just more concerned about what they're going to do in the future, what God's calling them to in the future than what he's got them to do right here, right now. Final place, and this is again a little bit of a sensitive one, final place we can often put our identity and search for meaning in is in our hurts or our sufferings, the junk that happens to us. And it is a sensitive one, but I think we just need to be honest about it. Because we all suffer, all right? We, we all have pain in our life. We all carry hurt. There is all stu- some more than others, yes. And it's not a comparison tool. I'm hurting more than you. No, like your hurt and your pain is your hurt and your pain. But we can easily allow our hurts and our sufferings and our pains to become our identity, to become the thing that defines us 
the reason why we do or don't do certain things, the reason why we are who we are. And I accept that this is difficult oftentimes, but if you're in Christ, then your identity is not in your pain or your hurt. It's in Jesus. And to be a Christian is not to live a life that is immune from pain or suffering, but rather suffering should lead us to identify with Christ who suffered way more than anyone in history on our behalf. And so it's the trial, it's not the trial that defines us, it's Jesus defining us through the trial. And if any of those things are true about you, to a certain or a lesser extent, they're true of most of us at some point. We have two options. We can either try and create for ourselves a a better, new, stronger identity, a better version of you. Or you can live in the better, stronger identity that Jesus has already won for you on the cross. See, the gospel thunders out with the resounding truth that it's not about what you do at all. It's about what Jesus has done. And this is not just something that we say or something that we we should just know and, and, well, we say it on a Sunday. No, this is something that when you grasp it, when you really get it, your life is completely changed. Because the truth is, you are not what you do. You are not what you own. You are not defined by what other people think of you. You do not get your identity from what may or may not happen in the future. You're not defined by your past and the suffering and the hardship. You're never going to find peace and joy and contentment and freedom and acceptance in any of those things, you're only ever going to find them in Jesus Christ. And in that moment when we freely flee to Jesus in faith, God the Father accomplishes the most amazing miracle of all for us. He joins our life with the life of Jesus, his son. And so united now with Christ, we have a new identity. And our new identity includes all the perfections of Jesus, Jesus credited to our account but it doesn't even end there you see now united with Christ we begin to become what we already are in Christ you see in Christ we're not cursed but blessed with new life we're not rejected as dirty and stained but we're now considered pure and blameless and holy as the perfect bride wearing robes of righteousness we're not judged and condemned we're redeemed and we're forgiven and we're not forgotten because he chose you and he knows you we were remembered before the foundation of the world you're not lost but you're now marked and sealed by the spirit even if you feel like I'm a little bit at all at sea right now you're no longer spiritually dead but you're now alive with Christ you are no longer a second-class citizen you're now seated with God in the heavenly realms you're not left over and ugly on the side you're part of God's new creation So many Christians, so many people feel that their past defines them. They just can't escape from it. How I was treated, how that went on, what I did, the mess I made, the mistakes I made, the decisions I made. Even since becoming a Christian, I know they're thinking, but I've just done this and this and this again and again and again. And it shapes my future and I can't shake it. And it's just, it's always going to be with me. I'm always just going to carry that. No, 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 no. Listen, God made you. Jesus loves you. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But there is a new identity for you. 
And it's a new identity that leads to a new destiny. And Paul tells us that even though we were once far away from God, he has brought you near. You were a prodigal with respect to God's promised inheritance, but now you're family. You've been written into the will. You were once a, an illegal alien. You were barred from God's presence, but now you have free access to the very throne of God. And so you can approach him with confidence. You are accepted and loved and adopted as a son or a daughter, not because of you and your past record, but because of Jesus and his perfect one. And so we need to hear again and again and again and again the resounding shout of God that speaks over us, you are my workmanship, you are my masterpiece, you have been created anew in Christ Jesus. You see, our culture bombards us with this message the whole time. Be extraordinary. Be special. Be different. Make something of your life. And God's shouting back, by grace through faith, you are already extraordinary. You are different. You are special because you are my workmanship, said God. See, there is nothing greater than being made new by the living God. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his making, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before the foundation of the world so that we would walk in them, so we would live in them. This is one of the most mysterious and beautiful facets of God's dealing with humanity. From the very first moment, You first rest in Jesus Christ as your only hope. You are forever joined with Jesus in such a way that God the Father sees you always and only in Jesus Christ. And so through faith, the deeds of Jesus become your deeds. His life becomes your life. All his goodness is credited to your account. And Jesus Christ on the cross joined himself with sins that were not his own, which meant that you now are joined with the things that are not your own because they're his and they're given freely to you. So united with him now by faith, you receive righteousness that you could never earn. And here's what that means for your life life. In that moment when the baptized body of Jesus Christ burst through the surface of the river Jordan, the heavens thundered with the words that your heart and my heart hungers to hear. You are my son. You are my daughter, the one whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, those were the words that God the Father meant first and foremost and spoke over Jesus Christ. Of all the billions of people who have ever walked on the planet or ever will walk on the planet, who have ever lived and ever died from the dawn of time to the end of the age, Jesus and Jesus alone deserve such praise. No one else deserves it. No one else gets even close to it. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And yet, through the work that Jesus accomplished through his perfect life and his perfect sacrifice, his perfect death, those words have reached beyond just Jesus as the Son of God to include every single human being who is now in Christ and that includes you despite your junk despite your mess despite your pain despite the fact you look here there on everywhere for your identity the words of God the Father because your life is hidden in Christ resound over you in you I am well pleased wow you see deep inside us you we're all starving for someone's opinion to speak over us Words of loving kindness and acceptance. We're all looking to belong. We're all looking for someone to say, I think you're amazing, all the time. 
We're looking for someone to say, I am delighted in you. I am well pleased in you. And the good news is, because of the grace and the mercy of God, that someone already has. And not even the slightest measure of his pleasure is based on anything that you will do or not do from now into eternity. It's based solely on what Jesus Christ has done for you. In Christ, whatever Jesus inherits, you inherit. You don't deserve it. You never will. But Jesus does, and the Father sees you in him. You know, in Christ, whatever, God, whatever love God the Father has for Jesus, he has for you as well. Nothing you could do could merit this love, but Jesus could and Jesus did. And the Father sees you in him. You're joined together in such a way that Jesus can never think anything less of you than he thinks of Jesus. He can never think anything less of you than what he thinks of Jesus. Your failures are wiped away. Your shortcomings no longer fall short. Your future is secure. And so in Christ, the deepest reality in your life isn't the rapidly wrinkling flesh that looks at you in the mirror every single morning. Your deepest reality is the fist-battered face of Jesus Christ who looked on you and took your sin and took your punishment, who men spat upon, who bled and died for you and pleaded with his Father for your forgiveness. That's the face that looks back at you in the mirror each day. So your truest identity isn't, the f- isn't some failure-prone fool who never seems to lose enough weight or kind of gain enough ground to impress the people around you or earn enough money to do this or be smart enough to do that or whatever it is. That is not who you now are. You, your life now is hidden with Christ in God. And in Christ, you've already been convicted and executed and raised from death and vindicated once and for all. And so you now have no failures to hide. And you have no triumphs to hide behind. See, the risen king has become your righteousness. And your standing before God no longer depends on you. See, this single truth of being in Christ changes everything. And it's all being given to you as a free gift of faith. We are well used to you get what you deserve. Our culture says that to us all the time. It's drummed into us from a little kid. You get what you deserve. Work hard. Good things happen to you. Don't. Well, it's your own stupid fault. What we need to hear again and again and again is the free gift of grace in Christ Jesus that is credited to you that changes everything. My timid heart faces a daily battle to believe the scale and the scope and the beauty and the wonder and the majesty and the life-transforming glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My identity is in him and nothing else. I am accepted by him and who cares about anything else. I am loved by him, which means I'm able to love others freely. I am in Christ. And so abiding there in that beautiful relationship of which there's nothing I can do which is going to impress him more and there's nothing that I can do that's going to make him love me any less, that's how you bear fruit. That's how there's the natural consequence of being rooted and grounded and built up in Christ is that you will overflow with love for him and for others and things of the spirit which will result in many other people coming to know him as well. So let's quit our striving. Let's quit looking other places for our identity. Let's fix our eyes back on Jesus. The invitation we had earlier in our worship, fix our eyes back on him, see things the way he's seeing things and understand the way the Father looks on us our lives are hidden in Christ you didn't choose him he chose you and he's appointed you to bring forth to bear fruit in your life it won't be quick 
It won't always be easy, but there is a promise that one day we will stand before him and see him face to face, and we shall be like him as he is. And what he started, he will bring to pass. And what he started, will, he will ensure, because his glory demands it. He chose you. He will bring you through. Let's be a people who abide in our new identity in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.